Hi, my name's Tim. And I'm Cassandra. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the European, European Soapbox. On today's episode, we are going to be talking about the European Parliament. So the European Parliament first met in 1952, and what it really does, it's very similar to the House of Representatives that we have in the United States. Definitely. And so the Council of the European Union, which we've, we've talked about previously, um, that serves more of the, the Senate role. Mm-hmm. Um, and we sort of, the most like comparable thing we see here is size. Right. Um, the 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 European Parliament is considerably larger. So it has 705 members uh, from the 27 member states. But before we go there, we're going to sort of come back to how, how the European Parliament began. Of course, the history. So it first began as the Common Assembly of the European Coal and Steel Community um, and really serves currently as one of the three legislative branches of the EU. Yeah, and so, I mean, what does it really do? So as a legislative power, um, some of its functions are passing EU laws. Um, It does so together with the Council of the EU, as well as the European Commission protocols, deciding on international agreements, deciding on enlargements, so like what countries should come into the EU, um, as well as reviewing the Commission's work program and asking it to promote legislation. Yeah, I think think that that is a great sort of overall... Um, Mm -hmm. description of what it is and so we'll we'll go into some of the more detailed powers they Mm -hmm. have uh, specifically budgetary so they help create the animal budget Um, they have sort of overview powers um, so they oversee EU institutions most notably the commission so once again this this comes back into checks and balances Mm -hmm. um, of this balanced institutions making sure everybody is compliant with regulations making sure everybody else is being democratic um they cooperate with national parliaments to implement different laws and most recent update of their charter i guess it's sort of their agreement to uphold the european principles Mm -hmm. as well as their responsibilities is the lisbon treaty and it's something we'll talk about in later podcast episodes when we talk about the so many treaties that make up the eu yeah so I, i think that the big ones and the most recent is the Lisbon Treaty. Um, then we go to Maastricht, Paris, and Rome. That sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the biggest things that the European Parliament stands for is democracy and human rights, and making sure everybody's or every state within the EU is democratic, liberal, all of that. Yeah, and so what Cassandra means by liberal is just democratic essentially yeah. what it what it really stands for I, I know that at least in america we have sort of liberal conservative divides um that's not what we talk about in mm-hmm. political theory when we mean liberal it's more democratic and standing up for democracy yeah um and another big thing which is actually really interesting it's not just demo- democracy and human rights within the eu it's also outside of the eu so they they really try to both in their foreign policy not sort of encourage democracy around the world yeah and obviously not with like force or anything but saying hey like especially with countries that want to be a part of the eu uh one of the i guess requirements to do so is 
being a democracy, being a liberal society where everybody has a vote, everybody can work and towards bettering the economy and all of that. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and let's let's talk about it more as an institution real quick. Mm -hmm. uh, what, is, what does it look like? How many members does it have? Where do these people come from? Um, where do they meet? Stuff along those lines. Yeah, so like you said in the beginning, very similar to the House of Representatives, there are 705 member or members, my bad, um, elected in each of the 27 member states. And it's each of the member states elects a proportional number of representatives based on their population. One thing that we spoke about earlier about their organization is they don't sit by nation. The, so this is this is really interesting, and we're going to talk about this more detail once we get sort of the major political parties in sort of the European Parliament, um, because this is atypical. Yeah. Like very sitting very by odd. party and not by nation. Um, I I know that. I, I guess the House of Representatives usually you have like because it's a bi-party system most commonly um usually sit by party like one side of the aisle the other side of the aisle but still states are relatively symmetrical or at least sometimes they even sit together yeah and, and this is 705 members mm -hmm. they decide not to sit by nation but rather by political association and so we'll, we'll talk about this later um and it's, it's very interesting and i just want to add i i'm not sure on this but i think they meet in the hague uh, which I, is, I have no idea. Okay. Well, well. <laughs> in hopes of not getting anything wrong, we're gonna we're gonna skip that then. <laughs> um, which actually brings us to our political parties. So let's talk about who's represented. Yeah. So we've got seven major political groups within the parliament. Um, there's the EPP, the European Social Democrats, the Renew Party, the Green Party, and the EU Free Alliance, Identity and Democracy the European Conservatives and Reformists, and finally, the left. Yes, and so the EPP is the European People's Party. Yes. Um, and they sort of have a, an agreement with the Christian Democrats, um, but this They're is similar, the, but not one in this same. Yes, they're also the party of Viktor Orban, um, mm -hmm. which, as of right now, Hungary is sort of in a not-so-democratic situation. It's an towards state. It, a liberal state, exactly like Cassandra said. And so this is a very interesting actor in the European Union itself. And so we're going to talk about that in a separate podcast. But let's go back to the question of they're sitting by their party, party not by a nation. Do you... I have my own thoughts about this, but do you think that affects how you vote? Like, if you're sitting with people who agree with your morals or, I guess, your social ideas, how do you vote? Do you vote with that party or do you vote for your nation? I don't know. This is such an odd question to me because usually, especially in political theory, we, we talk about nationalism a lot. Mm -hmm. And so now it's not nationalism, it's party loyalty. Mm-hmm. And so which one outweighs the other? I have no idea. It is, and it, it's such a fascinating question to me because usually we're worried about like, oh, a nation's going to block because they have more nationalistic views. Now it's what party's going to block because they have sort of more conservative views. Like mm -hmm. it is very interesting. I, I would love to hear your opinion on this. I I hold a very similar view to you. Like, I, I really have no idea. The only thing I could possibly wrap my head around is if 
almost all of the representatives of a particular state are one or the other party. Like if everybody in, I don't know, not saying this is right at all, but if everybody in France is part of the social Democrats, like it would make sense (laughs) that everybody who, all of the French representatives vote in line with party. But if, I don't know, freaking Croatia or something votes or has like evenly distributed people or representatives in each of the parties, like what do you do? Because I'm sure all of them think they're right in the course of action. It's very, very interesting. And in comparison to the Council of the European Union, where you have one representative from each member Mm -hmm. state, I think that sort of what's best for the nation, which essentially is what they're supposed to represent, is going to be much more prevalent than what a party wants. Like in, in the European Parliament, if you're not sitting with nation, and you're still representing your nation, I guess, in an ideological sense, but how sort of do the social pressures impact you? Are you more party oriented now and you don't really care what's best for your state? Or are you still have that, I guess, urge towards nationalism that's so common in Europe? Yeah, like say you're Swiss. So if you were representing Switzerland, I was representing Spain and something's better. If you're, I don't know, if we're both social Democrats, I'll just keep it like that. And maybe something that the Renew Party is better for my country and the Social Democrats is yours. Like, you talking about it and saying how good it's going to do for your country, maybe I think it's going to do the same for mine. Like, it's it's so hard for me to balance out what, not priority, because of course the nation is a priority, like we've been saying, but like, what do you do? Yeah, as a, as a supranational institution, this is has to be one of the most odd and nuanced designs I've heard of Mm -hmm. it is very very interesting to think about um there's one problem with your illustration Uh, (laughs) it is that switzerland is not in the european union that (laughs) i'd like to highlight this (laughs) um and so i i guess that that really covers it it brings up a lot of questions about both the european parliament but also just in general how the european union is designed if it's effective um i mean imagine in the UN, you didn't sit by country. I feel like it would totally skew. I, I know that that's sort of a that's a reach when it comes to comparison no. because <laughs> you don't have parties well, in, the Euro- right. in the United Nations. But it's it's still it's just a tad weird. I, I guess I can. Call yeah, it that. I mean that's the best way to put it. I, I can't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think it would be very interesting to sort of have maybe. A research study as to how this affects votes um, possibly there's some psychological component but really we're just discussing and speculating here we don't we don't have an answer yeah i mean we have no idea it could be everybody from each country is very close to a majority of each party but yeah yeah we we're not we no as idea. versed in the political parties <laughs> of the eu as we'd like to be right um but we do want to bring up sort of a fun fact about the european parliament because there are so many different languages represented, um, everybody has sort of their own, not their own translator, but these translators sit in their boxes and they talk into a microphone and more or less word for word translate what's going on. Yeah, so I t- I'm a translation and interpretation minor and one of our classes when we were talking about interpretation, we watched a video of a European parliament meeting and there were... I mean, I don't know how many, but there were like at least 10, 15 people like at a second story looking over their diplomat, their representatives translating and going from like each language. It was so cool. Like interpretation is so, so incredibly hard. So I can't even imagine 
doing it with such high stakes, high pressure, all of that. It, it was really cool. It's very interesting, similar to how the United Nations functions sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, but we do want to add that the most common language and sort of, I guess they call it the diplomatic language of the European Union, is French. Yeah. Um, well, not official. Not official, but... It's um, primary, yeah. Primary spoken, and so... Yeah, so today's episode on European Parliament, we gave you a good skeleton, some fun facts, our own little discussion about political parties and all that. Um, so yeah, we hope you learned a thing or two and join us next week on the European Soapbox. The European Soapbox podcast reflects only the opinions of the authors and do not reflect the views of any affiliated and or mentioned organizations. We are students still in the learning process, so information should be taken with a grain of salt and not blindly accepted. The information is for informational purposes only and do not intend to serve as any recommendation. We do not intend to isolate anyone on this podcast and encourage diversity and differences in opinion. The European Soapbox stands independently from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. The authors are the sole owners of the rights to the European Soapbox podcast. As students, we ask for the opportunity to grow and improve in our podcasting journey and progression as individuals. If you'd like to reach out to us, send us an email at europeansoapbox at gmail.com. This podcast is hosted by Cassandra Alvarino and Tim Fry. All music is produced by Till Iringer. That's T-I-L-L-Y-D-E-A-N dot W-A-V on Instagram. A special thanks to our friends, families, and supporters.